0: Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from actually my own neighborhood. Can you imagine? I found a guest that lives literally in walking distance, and I love it. I've had such an easy, smooth morning getting here. And I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So my guest was raised between the alternate realities of Ghana and Britain. He is passionately curious about music, African culture, and counterculture. Through almost two decades of lecturing, researching, public speaking, Developing creative projects, curating music, and freelance writing, he has championed arts and culture. He has explored this idea in settings ranging from classrooms to international conferences and in numerous workshops, panels, podcasts, publications, and dance floors. Along the way, he has been profiled by platforms like the BBC, written for others like The Guardian, received a Miles Moreland African Writers Scholarship, and Anita funding for a PhD in research on Ghana's alternative music scene. In doing these things, he is creating pathways for young African creatives, cultural practitioners, and journalists to follow. <laughs> Kobina and Koma. Graham. (laughs) Kobe, Hi. (laughs) Welcome (laughs) to the podcast.
1: Thank you very, very much.
0: Okay. So let's jump right into it. Okay. Where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft?
1: Okay. So I am from technically Kofiridia, which is the capital of the Eastern region of Ghana. Mm -hmm. And that's because I'm Akan mm-hmm. and we are matrilineal people. Mm-hmm. And so I come from where my mother is from. Mm-hmm. But in terms of where they said it, it ain't where you're from, it's where you're at. And so in that sense, I'm also from Cape Coast because when I first moved to Ghana in 1987, that's where I lived with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. It's where I learned Fanti. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the only Ghanaian language that I speak, mm-hmm. aside from Pidgin English, which is a Ghanaian language. Yeah. And I'm from London also in the sense that I was born in London. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I spent part of my childhood there. Okay. Yeah. Where in London? So I was born in Kentish Town, Royal Free Hospital, lived in Tufnell Park, Okay. and went to school in Gospel Oak and played on Hampstead Heath. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, oh, Gospel Oak oh. is walking distance from Hampstead Heath, so we just go there all the time okay. to play, to swim, all okay. these things.
0: Okay, yeah. okay, oh, I'm familiar with. Hans I Save see. Me. Okay, I've never heard of Gas.
1: Oh, Gospel Oak. Gospel Oak. Yeah, Gospel Oak. It's literally the next stop on one of the lines. Ah, and okay. So I went to Gospel Oak Primary School. Okay. Before moving to Ghana and finishing primary school in University Primary Cape Coast. Yeah.
0: Ah, okay. What is your craft?
1: So, I am a teacher. Some would describe that as a lecturer because mm-hmm. um, I teach mainly at university level, but not exclusively. Mm-hmm. I am a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I do freelance writing and I'm in the process of writing a book. And I am a DJ. And I've been DJing for close to 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are my main things. I'm also a PhD student at the moment. So besides being a teacher, I'm also a student. I'm studying sociology Mm -hmm. at the University of Ghana.
0: Yep. Okay. So on your website, Mm. you're listed first. And I think even the first image, no, no, the first image, I don't think is you DJing, mm. but you said you, you have DJ, mm. then lecturer, then <laughs> cultural writer and researcher. Yep. So I, I asked that because is that because music is closest to your heart? Mm. Is it because you've been doing it the longest? Tell us, tell us a little bit more about that.
1: So it's it's, it's funny if you visit my website once every, let's say, quarter or so, uh-huh. you'll notice that the order changes.
0: Really? Yeah. I
1: actually go and change it. And so, depending on kind of how I'm feeling, what is the main thing at the moment? Okay. And so, sometimes I think I'm more of a writer than anything else.
0: Uh huh.
1: Right now, as we're speaking, I feel like I'm more of a DJ than anything else. Okay. Um, We've recently revived a DJ format that used to run between 2007 and. 2011 so we were running this format called soul in motion okay. and that's where i would dj every i think it was once a month actually mm-hmm. and all these people come down and we where came. was it it was in osu um there was a place called rima's bar i don't oh i remember there. yeah and yeah. we used to go yeah. and we'd, we'd like we play Neo soul Afrobeat yeah. before because this was pre-Afrobeats.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we play
1: Afrobeats, yeah. we play broken beat, old school hip hop RB. Okay. And it was a vibe. And we recently resurrected it. Yeah. At the mix, also in osu coincidentally. Yeah.
0: Yep.
1: And it's been running now for two weeks.
0: Yep.
1: And we've been doing a lot of planning and playing and stuff. So DJing is what is giving me life right now.
0: Okay. Um nice. but
1: I think of myself as a cultural practitioner in the sense that I am just very active in the cultural scene. I try and stay on top of what is going on. A lot of younger creatives call on me and ask for advice and assistance. And yeah, I just try and I see the creative scene in across community. And Hmm. so I try as much as I can to be of service.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting you say that. Number one, because what you didn't add is actor. (laughs) Okay, folks. You are uniquely qualified to speak to this. Yes, yes, yes. So a little (laughs) bit of background. So here, my work, obviously creating content and... We did a pilot episode of a program called the Mofra Channel, which you can yes. see, you can watch, you can actually see, mm. Kobe, on Amazon Prime. So mm. Mofra Channel, Amazon Prime, it'll be in the show notes. And he was uh, a father. yes that was to our sci-fi eco eco superhero yes yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. that was some fun
1: (laughs) yes that's the the, i mean aside from school plays that's the only acting experience i have and that was that was really it was a lot of fun i remember Getting to understand how many reshoots yes. that actors had, so it's like say yeah. this line, okay, say it again, say yeah. it in this way, yeah. and then going to the different places. Location, yeah, it, was, it yeah. was that was a lot of fun actually. Yeah, very unique, and I think I have actually put that on my website.
0: Oh really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Good.
1: I I I think um. Of course, I don't have an extensive acting repertoire. But, um, yeah. but it's listed.
0: It's there. Okay, it's good. There. Okay, good. So, <laughs> MoFra channel, folks, you can see. Not oh. a cameo. He is one of the lead characters. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay. Wow. So, acting mm. and and so creative mm-hmm. culture is, yes. is what, what's giving you life generally. Yeah. And so from being a dj mm-hmm. moving back being a dj I mean, yeah. and so i'm thinking that probably wasn't your primary occupation no. when you first came back no. so i think this is a good time to ask why no. the where so okay. how did you come to be living and working and playing back here in ghana
1: okay so i was born in the uk and stayed there until i was around eight mm-hmm. then went to cape coast okay lived with my grandmother side. So I finished primary school there and most of secondary school. And then I went back to the UK um, when I was maybe 17. Okay. And so is that, what's that,
0: like O-levels, time? And so
1: I'd finished O-levels, okay. went back and did A-levels a levels there. there. okay. Mm-hmm. And then I did a first degree and a second degree. Mm-hmm. Now, around the time that I finished, I think it was maybe my first degree. Okay. Actually, no, around the time I finished my second degree, 9-11 happened mm. and the world kind of just shrunk in a sense, yeah. um, in terms of opportunities. Mm-hmm. I remember qualifying and, um, just not finding work. So that was happening. And my father, my parents divorced when I was quite young mm-hmm. and he moved to Ghana and never went back. Okay. And so for years, my father would tell me nothing will happen for you in the UK.
0: You Mm -hmm. have to come home. Okay.
1: Um, So there was that, and then when I was in secondary school here, my father had other kids. Mm -hmm. So these were my younger siblings, Mm -hmm. and by the time I came back, they were a bit older. They were teenagers. You could relate. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and like I come for holidays, and we just really bond. And Mm -hmm. I'm a firstborn. Oh. Okay. And so I felt Mm -hmm. very responsible, and Mm -hmm. I felt like they needed me Mm -hmm. and so there were kind of push factors and then pull factors okay but yeah so the job situation kind of pushed me away from there it's one of the things but then another thing that pushed me away from there was the UK was just a very dark place at the time I feel like knife crime was on the up the killing Mm -hmm. of Damilola Taylor Stephen Lawrence before that Mm -hmm. The rise of like racism and the right wing. These were all things that were happening at the time. And I had started to think about things like where I wanted to live, where I wanted to have family, that kind of thing. And so all these things came together, a perfect storm. And I got an opportunity, an internship that brought me here. And I used that as a test. So I was here, it was supposed to be three months. it ended up being four months Mm -hmm. and Afterwards, I went back to the UK, and I packed my things, and I moved. Okay. And 17 years later, I'm still here.
0: Okay, all righty then. Mm. So mm. given what you studied, so was it yeah. in what you studied? How, how does Not that- Not
1: really, gel? so my first degree was a law degree. Mm-hmm. I studied law, mm-hmm. um, University of London. Mm-hmm. And then for my master's, also University of London, School of Oriental and African Studies, I studied International Studies and Diplomacy. Oh, okay. So one would think that I would either go into law or diplomacy. Right. I did some immigration paralegal work mm-hmm. because I, I did get into law school because, you know, you do the law degree and then you go to law school right. afterwards. Right. I got into college of law, but by then I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. Right. It just didn't grab me, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I went to work for a magazine for a year and it was the first place where I felt useful. Mm. Because I had all this kind of pop culture knowledge that was otherwise useless. Mm -hmm. But it was useful at that magazine. And that introduced me to the person who would teach me to DJ. It introduced Mm. me to that kind of cultural cultural world. Yeah, And so got a job as a paralegal with an immigration law firm Mm -hmm. that used to represent people who were fleeing persecution from the horn of africa and north africa and the middle east. Okay. And it was very kind of soul destroying. Yeah. Work.
0: I can imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But then I saw this internship opportunity. Um it was the University of Sussex. They have something called the Mi- Migration DRC which is the center for kind of migration research. Mm-hmm. And they had partner organizations across the world. Mm-hmm. And so they were doing an internship where you get to go to one of their partner organizations. Okay. And one of those was the Institute of Statistical, Social and Economic Research at the University of Ghana. And so they could offer the internship. I think they paid for the ticket. Oh, okay. I think so. Yeah. But you had to sort yourself out. Right. And because my father was here, so I, I came. And so I did that together with Professor John Anafi. I designed this questionnaire around refugees from Liberia. Mm. who were in the Buduburam camp in here in Accra yeah on the outskirts
0: yeah that's the one on the way to Inaba
1: yes exactly Mm -hmm. and so the idea was we were doing research to find out how Ghanaian residents and Liberian residents in Buduburam were getting along Mm -hmm. and so it was my first time doing that kind of research Mm -hmm. I got to supervise a team of can't remember how many but there were so many researchers
0: right because and you were go- engaging
1: exactly right and so we all hit the field so i got to design the questionnaire everything yeah. we hit the field we interviewed all these people and then we generated a paper mm. um that i actually got all to- in four months yeah okay yeah That's and impressive. um and um i actually went to present the paper at the international association of forced migration studies conference in canada
0: Ah, yeah so it was great it was a really
1: cool opportunity professor nafi was really helpful he he was the one i had actually returned to the uk Mm -hmm. after the four months and he called me and said so there's the opportunity to give a talk on the paper you were the one who did most of the work do you want to go Mm -hmm. i was like yeah. Free trip to Canada, hell yeah. <laughs> right. So that's how I ended up going there. And yeah, and so it was just testing grounds. And so when I came, I was living with my dad and my dad, my dad worked in, so he used to work in the Bank of Ghana and then he went to work for the IMF. And then when he moved back mm-hmm. um, from working for the IMF in kind of Malawi, Ethiopia, Tanzania, sure, he set up a kind of construction business. Oh, okay. Okay. But he he did kind of like imports and exports of just random things. My dad is a hustler.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Most of
1: the men in my family are hustlers, sure. like like entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I think I'm the black sheep of the family because I'm an academic. Okay. Like, we are not academics. But my father's oldest brother uh-huh. was an academic. And so oh, okay. I feel like every generation produces sure.
0: one. Sure, right. Yeah. Exactly.
1: So my dad, one of the things he imported was a bunch of surveillance equipment,
0: ah, and so okay. he
1: was. So he set up a small company around it that wasn't doing very well, and uh-huh. he was like, "Come home and run this company." And oh, like yeah, it was. It was like three guys who would install security systems, and he he wanted us to make it work. Sure. I did not have a business bone in my body, <laughs> and I came back. And I ran it into the ground. Well, well. Oh,
0: you were one of those. Oh, I'm one of those, <laughs> totally. Like, I came in
1: thinking, oh, yeah, Ghana. Okay, fine. I'm going to bring my kind of UK mindset. Right. I'm not going to pay bribes in order to get paid for contracts or to get contracts. Oh, yeah. All no. these things. I ran that into the, like, seven feet deep into the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it taught me that I'm not great at business, but okay. it introduced me to one of our clients was Casa Okay. We mm-hmm. installed the, we had some good clients Sure. and um, one of the directors there had a company uh-huh. that did two things, market research and media monitoring. Sure. They were, I think maybe the first media monitoring company mm-hmm. in Ghana. And he saw my CV and he was like, I want you to run the, the market research side of the company. Sure. It's like, I don't have any market research. He's like, oh, we'll, we'll fly you to Kenya to train you. Oh, and wow. So he flew me to Kenya. I was there for like a week or two.
0: Okay.
1: And I came back and I had to run this company. Okay. And you
0: didn't run this one to the ground.
1: I didn't run it to the ground. Um, <laughs> they moved me at some point from head of research to... Um, business development. Okay. And then at some point I had to see one of their clients mm-hmm. and renegotiate their contract with that client. Sure. That client ended up being Joy FM.
0: Oh, okay. And okay.
1: Joy FM were like, oh, do you have any experience in radio? Right. And on the side, I had already started doing a radio show ah. with, um, so when I arrived, there was an event that I went to. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking into the event and they were playing music by Jay Dilla, who I was obsessed with, mm-hmm. but who I just never heard in a Ghanaian context. Mm-hmm. And so I met up with the DJ and his name was um, Kwaku Nansi, and he had a radio show on Vibe FM or was Vibe FM at the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he, he invited me to do a guest set. I did. And afterwards he was like, so see you next week. And oh, okay. I just became co host with him. Nice. So at that point where I met the Joy FM guy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I had been DJing on radio, just late night slots doing alternative music sure. for almost a year. And yeah. so I said, yes. And he said, I'll give you a call. He gave me a call. I ended up going to Joy FM. Okay. Joined as a journalist. Okay. And
0: so were you, yeah. I mean, I guess studying law, you were a writer already.
1: I guess. Yeah. I I think I've been writing since I was in secondary school. Okay, so it's one of your passions. Yes, definitely, Mm -hmm. definitely. Mm -hmm. So writing—that's where it comes from, and it was particularly useful at Joy because I was a journalist, right? And so even though it's radio journalism, it's written copy,
0: right? And it's yeah, yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah. So I got to do
0: so now yeah. as a journalist did mm-hmm. you go out were you man on the street at all yes. like you so you covered events you would yes. have to come up with questions yes. to ask at the presidential press conferences <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yes i did all of those things uh-huh. Uh-huh. i wasn't assigned to anything presidential okay i think i was i was a bit of an oddball in the newsroom because i think at the time most people were either very kind of politics focused yeah or entertainment focused right. but not alternative culture focused it just wasn't really there right and so at the time and if you look at my cv now you'll see that there's a lot of kind of this is the official thing that i'm doing Mm -hmm. but at some point in time i had to expand my hobbies section because a lot of the things that i do that's where it goes right and so i no longer call it hobbies i i one day did an exercise where i said let me do selected cultural and creative activities that mm-hmm. I get up to. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And just one-liners. Mm-hmm. I filled up an A4 sheet real quick. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I have to put that in my CV because I spend a lot of time mm-hmm. on that. While I was at Joy, the person I was dating at the time, dated like separate, but we remain business partners. Sure. We did a magazine called Dust.
0: Oh okay, I remember Dust. Yeah,
1: so okay, we that's right. We yeah. created Dust Magazine. Yeah. Dust was it was like our love letter to Accra mm. and
0: It is I, Dusty.
1: Yes. <laughs> the idea <laughs> the idea was actually what what name could we come up with that was representative that was inclusive. Mm-hmm. And we thought of Dust because it's the common denominator Uh, we used to say you'd find it everywhere from the bottom of a poor person's feet Mm. to the top shelf in the penthouse suite Mm. there's dust everywhere Mm -hmm. and so it was us just curating Accra at a time where Accra was not the Accra that it is now
0: absolutely not
1: yeah and so there were a number of people who were doing cultural events but like we didn't used to compete with each other. We would all go to each other's events because it was like one event every month or two.
0: Right, yeah. You
1: know, and so we would curate these and we'd write these thought pieces. And we we just thought that as far as magazines went, the magazines that we could see either just had all these like really shiny photos at events. ovation, basically. Uh Or so they were really well designed, but there wasn't really any kind of like substance yeah Mm -hmm. or they were like these think piece heavy magazines but they were just so poorly designed Mm -hmm. and we're Mm -hmm. just like no we can do both Mm -hmm. it can look good it can have depth and it can have culture Mm -hmm. and so that's what dust was so by the time I was working at joy I was also the editor of dust okay yeah and then I got invited to give a talk at a school and I I went up to Ashesi University.
0: Okay. Gave so a that was lecture. the school you were invited to give it up. Yes. To.
1: And
0: <laughs> this this was is, this is early days Ashesi, right?
1: Not well, kind uh, of. So they had just moved from they used to be in Laboni.
0: Okay. Before in the central Croix, Before
1: they moved to their campus in Berekuso. Yeah. yeah. So I was essentially with them as they moved to Birukosu. so The the year they opened at Birukosu, I was one of the teachers there.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. And
1: so I ended up teaching there and the the course that I taught brought together all the other things that are done because it was called text and meaning. And the basic idea was, it was an introduction to critical theory. So you can take anything and look at it through the lens of Marxism, feminism, Mm. Like all these different mm-hmm, things mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so that's what I would teach and so we would take any text yeah could be a textbook it could be literature it could be mm-hmm, poems mm-hmm. it could be an advert, a sure. music video sure. song lyrics and it was our job to teach students how to read between the lines
0: so did you come up with that concept yourself? no, no. Okay, I this should, was, see that was a so cause, part of their philo- philosophical yes. I guess. W- Yes, definitely, because
1: Ashesi has, it's inspired by the liberal arts format. So even though the degrees that are offered there aren't liberal arts Mm -hmm. in the sense that they're kind of science and business and management and engineering, Mm -hmm. every student who is there has the benefit of this education where they get to study some Mm Afrikaners. They all learn about communication and they all learn critical thinking.
0: And they all do a service Project yes, too, exactly. Which is also, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and so I was part of the team who were responsible for teaching those subjects. Okay. Yeah, so I would teach text and meaning, that particular course. Mm-hmm. I would teach written and oral communication. Okay. And then I ended up teaching a number of humanities courses, African philosophical thought, which is mm. my favorite thing to teach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because mm. there's, it's, it's the course that students call me years after the fact to thank me for to date right because there's some there's something that comes alive in in an african student when you teach them that not only were their ancestors not idiots but there's a line of black thinking that goes from african tradition all the way into pan-africanism all the way into the freedom struggle and the u.s civil Right. rights movement right. all the way up to afrofuturism and afropolitanism and uh, all of these things and we we yeah. look at it as one continuous thing it was awesome
0: yeah so i can imagine mm. that it was an awesome so where is that course now if it even exists and tell us some of the, the, your favorite readings from okay. that course
1: okay mm. so i don't think ashesi offer it anymore I, I was at ashesi for about eight years okay and then I moved to Webster University. Okay. Um, in East Lagon. Mm-hmm. And Webster have something called um, the Cornerstone Seminar that's mm. compulsory for all first year students. Okay. And so I teach this as part of that. So I do oh, an introduction. Okay. I call it introduction to African social thought. Sure. Introduction to African social theory, but it's it's basically a combination of social theory, history, African philosophy, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And Some of my favorite readings, let's see, um, I would say a speech by Malcolm X that they have to read on Mm Pan-Africanism, for example, as part of that. Mm -hmm. And what we would do is we would combine, so it wouldn't just be readings, but it would also be viewings. Every week they have to watch a documentary and then there are readings that they also have to do. Sure. Okay. So, one book Mm -hmm. that we used for this course was Homegoing Mm
0: -hmm. by Yajisi, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: which is a really interesting book that it basically traces two sisters, one of whom stays on the African continent, and the other, she's married to a colonizer. And so her children end up in the new world of the West. Yeah. Whereas the other sister, her children stay on the continent. And so this plot device allows her allows Yaj to explore
0: both sides. Both
1: sides. Yeah. Yeah. And so it goes into kind of the African American experience and the African experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we use that book particularly when we're teaching about kind of um, the freedom struggle and the civil rights movement. Because what you'll find is people often teach maybe US civil rights. Or they teach Pan-Africanism and the freedom struggle, but they don't teach these things in tandem because they were happening at the same time. Nkrumah invited Martin Luther King yeah. to Ghana's independence. Yeah. Martin Luther King, I believe, was also at Nigeria's independence. Right. These were people who were in the struggle together. If you yeah. look at early Pan-Africanism, That's a lot awful. of the people were not Africans from the continent uh-huh. some of the earliest people Marcus Garvey etc cetera, etc cetera, uh-huh. these were people whose ancestors had been sold into slavery and so it was a collective work of blackness in the world that resulted not just in the US civil rights movement but in the pan african movement as a and these things fit together Yep, And people don't often teach these things together, but we would make it a point to do so. And it helps it come alive for students. Because when you're teaching African students, you could choose to teach African students about all the isms. Mm -hmm. Religious fundamentalism, Marxism, feminism, um, socialism, capitalism, all all these things. But so many of those things don't seem like they... They don't come alive for the students yeah, as much resonate. if you don't ground them. Sure, and So exactly. when we were talk, talking about like socialism, we teach about African socialism and right. the fact that this was something that founding fathers of a lot of these nations believed in and used as an economic model because it was based on African communalism before it. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. have always been more community focused mm-hmm. than individualistic. Mm-hmm. And so, where, as these nations were being founded, there, there were attempts mm-hmm. to try and find economic models that reflected that. Yeah. Yeah. You see, yeah. for better or for worse. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, teaching these things together, looking at the fact that, like, when you talk about someone who's a Pan African, you're not just talking about, like, Thomas Sankara or Patrice Lumumba, you're also talking about mm. Mark Mex, mm-hmm. who was. He stated that he's a Pan Africanist and he would, you know, or W.B. Du Bois, who right. moved to Ghana. Yeah. Like, yeah. he was here with the Increment administration, sure. et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So, yeah.
0: So, I feel like, particularly African students, they're not necessarily getting that now. Mm. So, I feel like there's this deficit of, of that self awareness that is why we are to some extent where we are now and so as you're now educating students and i'm sure most of your students at webster are not african
1: uh no no they're african they're
0: mostly african most
1: yeah okay yeah okay um they're mostly african mm-hmm. there are students who visit okay as well
0: okay but it's a local oh yeah okay. yeah definitely or so, regional or yeah. okay Got so on. you
1: yes so you have Ghanaian students mm-hmm. and then you have students from the sub-region and the region. Sure. Yeah. Just, so similar to Ashesi in that way. Okay. Um, yeah. They're both schools that have primarily Ghanaian students, and then you'll see students coming in from across the continent. With okay. Webster, i found that there are more, let's say, Francophone students mm. than i found in Ashesi. Mm. Yeah. And um, and then you'd have visiting students coming from the States, sure, just sure. like a, a region
0: sure. of Sure. 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 Yeah. Fascinating. So basically, just to kind of wrap the why, mm-hmm. the where. You found yourself disillusioned by the West,
1: yes, not <laughs> <Yes.
0: laughs> to say the least.
1: I didn't think it was a place, yeah, to settle.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then you found your feet, you know, just kind of moving through. And I think that that, the way that you found your way is so Gunnian, you know, (laughs) it's so like, let me try this one and then try this one. And, you know, when you were speaking about how the creative community used to be a bit different because when I first moved here, that Mm. was my experience. It was Mm. like, we all go to the same things. I met a lot of the people who were just kind of pillars in the creative space who I don't see that much anymore, partially because Mm. life changes. Like people through families, right, exactly. But it's interesting now to see that and how that flows into the work Mm. that you have now decided and determined is what you are doing. And so I wanna talk about that. Mm. But before that, I wanna get a little bit more local. Okay. Because we're talking about writing and reading and all of that. So I want to ask you about glocal speak. So since you've been back (laughs) these 17 years, you've seen the lingo on the road change and what have you. Mm. So what would you describe as your glocal speak? So we want to hear what you hear. So a word, a phrase or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and how or why you've come to value it as glocal speak.
1: Okay, so I'm going to have to delve into pidgin. Okay. Yeah, for this. Okay. And I'll, I'll give a little bit of context. Yes. Typically speaking, people often think of pidgin English here in Ghana as being broken English. That's what they people in oh, okay. schools still call it broken English. And oh, okay. you're discouraged from speaking pidgin English in school because sure. they say it makes your, your queen's English not so good. Mm-hmm. But the way that I look at it is that... Pidgin English is the actual only Ghanaian language because Mm. all other Ghanaian languages predate Ghana. The only language that uh, has really come together and is a melting pot for phrases from all the different languages is Pidgin. Sure. And language is supposed to be dynamic. It's Mm -hmm. supposed to reflect changes in culture but what words has Ghana contributed to the English language the English language has new words added every year right now if you're playing Scrabble you could drop bootylicious and win it's an actual word mm. bling mm-hmm. has been officially added mm-hmm. to
0: mm-hmm.
1: every year there are new words that sure. they add selfie
0: sure etc um, etc right. et every right, year right right right
1: how many of those words have been introduced by Ghana? Not many, but if you listen to pidgin English, Mm -hmm. you will find that pidgin English is dynamic and changing all the time. And it's the lingua franca of like many of the secondary schools, particularly the boys' schools, but increasingly the girls' schools as well. But what is happening is, so I'm 45, this year I'll be 46. I have younger siblings who are a decade younger than me. And so these are the siblings for whom I moved back. Yes. And so in school, so I would say something like, "Oh, this thing it be yawa," and uh-huh. yawa means a thing is is rubbish it's right. crap, right? Yeah. yeah. No, no, actually, no, I I, I I get it wrong. I would say that that thing it be deft.
0: Ah, so now they say yawa.
1: Now they say yawa.
0: Ah, and the interesting so deft? thing,
1: deft means yawa. It's exactly the same.
0: But where did that come from?
1: I don't know. Ah, but I know okay, that okay. when, so like this is like early 90s and fans swimming Cape Coast. Sure. To say that something was rubbish, it was trash. We would say that thing would be deft. Okay. Then my younger siblings would come home from secondary school and they'd be saying, oh, that thing would be yawa. And ah,
0: yeah. so when they
1: explained it to me, sure. I was like, wow. And what I realized is the big difference culturally between my time and their time is that there was an influx of Nigerian movies uh-huh. and Nigerian music and culture, right,
0: right, right, right. And right. so that
1: introduces more Hausa.
0: Yes, because Yawa is a Hausa. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And so for me, I would use a word like Yawa. Yes. Now, right. These days, people say, "Oh, that thing is trash," right? <laughs> but basically, in Pigeon you'd say that thing be Yawa, yes. or some Yawa has happened to right. you, or something like that. Right. And I think that's so beautiful because it reflects how the language is growing and changing. It's a living, breathing organism. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't say the same for English. For Ghanians, we learn English and it's there and it's like some spirit that you worship and you don't touch. Mm-hmm. But pigeon, that's where we get dirty.
0: Right. And, and innovate. So, yeah.
1: yeah, And yeah. so that's why I'm choosing the word Yawa. It's Yawa. Yeah. Ah, okay. Because <laughs> you do hear it. Yeah. yeah because and yeah. Yawa things happen all the time. Like yeah. just, you can use it as a phrase to say that that thing is rubbish or you can use it to refer to misfortune that has befallen somebody. Yes, exactly. Um, Or just having a bad day. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Ghana is a lovely place, (laughs) but we're going through some hard times at the moment. It's it's not the best of times. Yes. Although at Christmas, it seems like it's the best of times. 30 December is is real. And our branding is impeccable. Right. But sometimes Ghana be our. So I choose
0: yellow. I have to agree. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> but we had a great conversation yeah. the other day, mm. and so you know we were talking, and we were at the mix. Yes. And I'll tell you. So oftentimes I speak with my listeners and say, "Oh, it's this weather, this season." Mm. I will tell you, folks. Even though it's the hottest time of the season, March, April. I mean, now we're in May, and it's the mm. the real creep of the the yeah. long raining season. I would say this is the most beautiful time Mm. because of the raining season and because the sky has like character and because the winds move Mm. more often so you won't be sitting in still air Mm -hmm. very rarely when you sit in still air at this time of year so all that to say that that's not Yawa right now. No, actually that's that's
1: very true. And it's actually very important to me as someone who moved from London right. that is associated with like gray skies yeah. constantly, whether it's raining or not, the skies are almost constantly gray. Yeah, it's true, yeah. yeah. And so in the UK, we had like this negative association with like rain and gray skies. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had really acclimatized, reacclimatized to Ghana when I moved here. And there was a point in time where I Look up in the morning and it's gray skies, and I'm just like, it's gonna rain. And I, I felt good about it because when it rains here, <laughs> right. everything slows down, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. the temperature drops, and it's yeah. lovely. Yeah, everybody looks forward to the rain, yeah, yeah, except when it's like flooding and stuff sure. like that. Right. But that's, but in terms of how people feel about yeah. rainfall, rain yeah. is considered a blessing, exactly. And yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing,
0: yeah. yeah. It, yeah, okay. Well, that's our global experience. Yes. Okay. So now ta- speaking about how you are transitioning from, not well, mm-hmm. yes, transitioning from being mm-hmm. a lecturer and, mm-hmm. and being an academic in that regard to being, I guess, I mean, a PhD that makes you like a higher academic.
1: Yes. Yes. uh, Yeah.
0: So this actually seems like the great culmination of all the things that you do. Yeah. And so tell us how that journey started. Okay.
1: So I've been DJing and as a DJ, um, while I've been DJing, I've been teaching. Mm -hmm. And first and foremost, I would say I'm a student of culture. Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with culture Mm -hmm. and I love Mm counterculture. And so I've made various observations over time. And I've also, so, so one observation, for example, was um, around 20, the 2010s, for example, I noticed as a DJ that globally speaking, or at least in the States in particular, the speed of the music picked up. Oh, and like so the, the
0: speed meaning?
1: Beats per minute. Be- yeah. So for example, you'd have something like Usher, would be singing nice and slow and confessions and these are all moving at a very sedate pace sure. but then around the time that black eyed peas dropped um, i've got a feeling and everybody uh, was being produced by david getter right. all of a sudden american r&b started to sound very uns uns very uns, yeah dancey <laughs> very yeah. dancey yeah dj's got me falling in love again Oh my gosh, these were songs which yeah. were very kind of like thumping, right. Yeah. right? And so in Ghana, the music also moved up mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we had Azonto. Right. So Azonto music was almost like our dance music and it moved at that yeah. speed. And so these are the kinds of things that I observe as a DJ mm-hmm. that I don't necessarily see a lot of people writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just make these observations, sometimes put it in the magazine, on my blog, write for somebody, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. My mother, my late mother, had been on my case to do a PhD for years because she's an African mother.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can do a PhD, do a PhD. And so, but I ran away from doing a PhD for a long time because I didn't think I needed it. Because yeah. the other thing was that, like I said, I'm active in the cultural scene. Sure. Sure. And so it means that I have a lot of contacts in the cultural scene. Mm -hmm. It means that there are things that I've taken part in and helped kind of co-found and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. I have a lot of observations about the scene generally. Mm -hmm. And so as I was at Ashesi, there was an opportunity that was brought to my attention, which was that the Copenhagen Business School in Denmark Mm -hmm. had partnered with the University of Ghana Business School Mm -hmm. to do research on cultural and creative industries in Ghana, because that research, for the most part, doesn't exist. There is a dearth of research on creativity in Africa. Sure, If you look up creative and cultural industries, most of the writing is focused on the West Okay. And you might find writing to do with, let's say, Nigeria, sure, Nollywood and Afrobeats, maybe South Africa,
0: maybe South maybe. Africa, but not
1: much for the rest of the continent sure. at all. Okay. And it's important information. I once went to a talk where the former deputy minister for culture was asked the question, "What does it look like in a cabinet meeting when you talk about culture?" Mm. And she made the point that, like, we don't have the stats, we don't have the research, we don't even have the legal instrument and so she can rely on it's usually tourism and culture and so there's a legal instrument for tourism mm-hmm. but there wasn't a legal instrument for culture and mm-hmm. art, the arts and so mm-hmm. and there's no research and so in a room full of competing interest lands, the foreign ministry etc sure. etc et they're not going to take you very seriously right So this right. is important research right. that's needed. And so Copenhagen Business School and University of Ghana joined forces and said, and secured funding from Danida mm-hmm. in Denmark mm-hmm. to do this research. And so they're looking at film, they're looking at music, they're looking at fashion and the visual arts. Mm-hmm. And you have postdoctoral students who are working on various projects. Mm-hmm. Then you have PhD students. They were going to fund four PhD students. Got so I applied under the sociology department um, because it wasn't just a business school, performing arts and sociology at Legon. Got it. And so I am looking at Ghana's alternative music scene. Mm-hmm. And because I'm looking at it from a sociological perspective, I'm looking at the relationship essentially between music and society. Mm-hmm. So how are these artists within the alternative music scene, how do they think of themselves as being in community with this idea of Ghana? Ghana as an idea. People talk about the American dream. The Ghanaian dream is 60 years old. Yeah. We've only been around it. So we are still defining it. Sure. So what does the alternative scene say about Ghana? Mm -hmm. When you think about music scenes, for example, you have the mainstream, often and then you have the alternative scene and the alternative scene tends to be a, a little a bit less guided by trends and popularity mm-hmm. and it's more about freedom mm-hmm. and expression and freedom to create and so the sounds tend to be a, a bit more experimental mm-hmm. or the lyrics tend to be braver
0: mm-hmm. you see mm-hmm. you have
1: that freedom mm-hmm. there's
0: activism oftentimes there's act
1: exactly mm-hmm. and so I'm interested in that because where there's activism, that suggests a care for society.
0: Mm-hmm. You see, right. yeah. so
1: I'm looking at that relationship between music and society, between music and identity. Yeah. So,
0: so thinking <clears throat> about education, because mm-hmm. you know, in Western world, there is definitely, and, and I imagine the outgrowth of this is that there will be a greater emphasis on music education Mm -hmm. or different kinds of arts education, Mm -hmm. which we really don't have a really strong foundation for any longer, right. In, in public school education. So as you're doing research and and speaking with the community, Mm -hmm. how did they even come to be these creatives? Because Mm -hmm. we all know that it's not necessarily very encouraged to go outside of the box, you yeah. are not going to make any money. And so what are some of the influences mm. that these people are experiencing? Is it Western mostly? Is mm. it in their communities? And then how did they learn mm. these crafts?
1: So I'm at the point where I'm starting the okay. research now. So, okay. um, but I've done a lot of kind of just reading of the literature and then sure. of course I have my community who I yeah. follow and speak with mm-hmm. all the time, etc. And I think that what you have is you have the kind of independence generation under Kwame Nkrumah
0: mm-hmm. who
1: they- It's
0: like uh, our parents. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Our
1: parents, our grandparents who they, some of them actually received like funding from the state yeah. to go and t- study arts abroad. Yes. And so like I interviewed the high life legend Ebo Taylor. Mm-hmm. And he talked about uh, getting some funding to go and study the guitar, mm. you know, so there was state funding available True. even for the arts and right. the arts was considered right. important. So
0: basically they were recognizing the need and then getting yes. people to train to come back.
1: Exactly. Got it. So, and, mm-hmm. or just encouraging. So, I mean, whenever Ingramo would travel, he would go with a, a, a high life band. So it would mm-hmm. be like E.T. Mensa and the Tempos or something. he yep. would take part in state mm-hmm. functions. And it was only in the 1970s that under all the military juntas and stuff, Mm -hmm. that kind of creativity was suppressed. There was literal taxes on like vinyl, importing vinyl. Mm. And there was no more nightlife because there were curfews and stuff like that. So a lot of people either went abroad or they they stayed, but they went into the villages or into the church. Mm -hmm. And so you find live Mm -hmm. music culture in Ghanaian churches is very vibrant. That's where it comes from. And so now, in like in the 1990s, you have this kind of okay. Ghana becomes a republic again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's the fourth republic. You have a constitution now and democracy, etc. Mm-hmm. And the way you have to look at it is that somebody who is in their early 30s now. In Ghana, all they've known is democracy. They've seen, like, mm. f- ever since the 1992 constitution, sure. they've seen one party pass power to another party, That's back true. to another party, back to another party, successive mm-hmm. pre- like, elections, elections, elections. Mm-hmm. So the fear from that time period is gone. Right. And so now you have the rise again of a live music scene.
0: Right. You yes. see. Mm-hmm. And
1: so you do have that live music. Right. And it's coinciding with. A sudden global interest in African sure, culture, sure, sure, you sure. You see, sure, which has yeah. been gestating this whole time, mm-hmm. and so I think people like Ghanaians, we've always been just global, we absorb influences from everywhere. Mm-hmm. You give us hip hop, we'll give you hip life, mm-hmm. if you give us trap, we'll give you like trap sounding high life Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever now drill is one of the biggest forms of black music in the world and all of a sudden you have the Asaka boys um Black Sharif and like and it's very drill influenced yeah back in the day it was jazz and then you had big band high life music like whatever influences you give us we will take it and we will remake it in our image and so the kids have been doing this And they do it whether they're in the secondary schools or in the streets. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And so amongst those kids, you have the ones who want to be like the big stars. And then you have the ones who, they're just really interested in the music. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. not really into being popular. They're just creating to create. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the kind of like alternative scene has emerged from those people who the other thing to realize is what is alternative is constantly changing when hip life started it was alternative it was alternative yeah Yeah. this is something i was told by um mensa Mm -hmm. who has been in the game for a really long time right exactly yeah and so i would say that it's young ghanians who are connected to the world Mm mm-hmm be it through tv radio relatives whatever like it doesn't matter like you go to any kid in the street and they know what the hottest songs are Mm -hmm. you see and i think they absorb these influences they're not encouraged by school to express their creativity but in the spaces in between so it's like oh so out of class yeah then we get to form a rap group. Sure. We do this. It's the kids. Right. The kids are really creative. And Africa is the continent that has the most young people in the world. Exactly. If we could find a way to make creativity pay for young people.
0: Exactly.
1: We would solve so many problems economically speaking on the continent. Right, right,
0: right. And socially speaking. And
1: socially speaking. And that's the thing. And one thing that I love right now is that with all this talk about Afrobeats and stuff, Mm -hmm. there's attention not just on Afro, the rest of the world looks at Afrobeats as, oh, okay, young, hot African music. Yeah. But along with that is being pulled, the alternative artists Mm -hmm. are being pulled along as well. And Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. right now, one of the most successful Ghanian artists, globally speaking, Mm -hmm. right now is probably Amare. Mm
0: -hmm. Amare...
1: You you call her Afrobeats But she does whatever she wants mm-hmm, Musically speaking mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Nigeria Thames Yeah Everybody talks about Thames Thames strictly speaking Is not an Afrobeats artist Yeah, no She's
0: just an artist She's
1: an artist yeah, And yeah, she, yeah. she will flirt with any genre Right She's always been a lot more experimental Right She's being pulled along. Even if you look at Black Sharif, who I think literally last week won, um, or earlier this week, won Mm -hmm. Artist of the Year at the Ghana Music Awards. If you listen to his album, it doesn't sound like he's following any trend. Sure. He sounds very original. He's singing about feelings in a way that, I mean, Sakodia might talk about his feelings, but But not really. Yeah. He's he's trying to ball, you know, it's like, you know, cigars and rollies. Right.
0: That's going to do it for part one of my conversation with Kobe Graham. Next week, join us for part two, where Kobe tells us a lot more about the intricacies of being a cultural practitioner and so much more. He has a wealth of different interests around reading and listening and watching, which you'll be treated to so much and as always you can catch us with new episodes tuesdays at localcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts please do like share subscribe tell a friend it helps others find great content online leave us a review if you're on spotify if you're on Google, if you're on Apple, leave us a review. It really helps. And in case you're in the Accra metropolitan area on a Sunday afternoon, do check out Kobe at The Mix restaurant for Soul In Motion Sundays. So Sunday brunch from 11 to six at the rooftop restaurant, The Mix, which is in Osu. Check out Kobe and his crew with Soul In Motion. And until next time, bye for now.